From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today, we're talking about birth control options with Dr. Renee Mastad. She's an assistant professor and division chief of obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I thought I'd like to ask you about each type of birth control available today um, and then sort of the advantages and disadvantages of each. So um, does it make sense to start with natural methods? We can start with natural methods. Okay. Are those the most or least effective? So um, as a practicing OBGYN who, who focuses on family planning, natural methods are actually our least favorite methods of contraception. They work, what they generally, as, as most people understand natural methods, that includes what we call the rhythm method, um, which encompasses several different um, ways of tracking a woman's periods. So women obviously now have a lot of tracking apps where they can figure out when their periods start and they can help them determine what their ovulation, when they're going to ovulate. Ovulation is when a woman becomes fertile. That's when an egg is released from the ovary and is able to be fertilized by sperm. So if you time intercourse opposite of that, exactly. the hope is that you would, would miss your miss. Fertile, fertile period, fertile okay. time, I should say. Having sex in the few days before ovulation is actually what dramatically increases the risk of pregnancy or the success if you're trying to get pregnant. The problem with these methods, though, is that they require a woman to have a very regular cycle. So she has to have her period every 28 days or every 35 days, however many days in between the beginning of one period and the next period. Is that has true to be... for many women? No. Okay. And this is why it's not a favorite of ours. Um, even with some of the tracking apps, we found most of them really aren't very um, accurate. But a lot of women have various health problems that interfere with regular periods. A lot of women have um, erratic lifestyles. They travel a lot. Um, women who are, who are trying to aggressively gain or lose weight are going to have irregular periods. Um, women with irregular sleep cycles will often have irregular periods. So it's not a particularly effective means of preventing pregnancy. Additionally, it requires the couple to be compliant. So if they decide to have sex during her fertile time, then he needs to use a, a condom or they need to use some other barrier method of contraception. And that, so that requires compliance. Um, by both partners. Um, another natural method, though, is lactational amenorrhea, um, known as LAM. So that's after you've given birth and Exa you're breastfeeding. Exactly. The and theory that you can't get pregnant while you're breastfeeding? So as long as a woman is exclusively breastfeeding, now she can pump and, and feed breast milk, bottle feed breast milk, but she cannot use any supplementation, no formula or anything else. So as long as she's exclusively breastfeeding, no supplementation whatsoever, um, it is effective for six months. Oh, but okay. after that, it, it doesn't work very reliably. Okay. All right. So maybe are those um, sort of the least effective? Yes, in they this are. Scheme of things. Okay. Yes. So uh, what about hormonal methods? So hormonal methods are the ones that um, most women are, are familiar with overall. Um, but the, the most commonly used and understood is the pill the birth control pill. Um, and the birth control pill, as all of us understand it, is the combined oral contraceptive. It contains both estrogen and a progestin. And these hormones uh, prevent ovulation, thicken cervical mucus, uh, which are the two mechanisms of action of how they work. Uh, they require a woman to swallow the pill every day 
at roughly the same time every day. And the hormones go throughout the, the bloodstream and throughout her body to affect how um, her ovaries function. They're also very useful for uh, women who have heavy menstrual periods by decreasing the amount of bleeding that they have. They're very helpful for women who have frequent ovarian cysts. They, by suppressing ovulation or preventing ovulation, they, women just don't form the cysts as a result. Um, they're exceptionally helpful for women who have painful periods, women who have endometriosis, um, because by stopping ovulation, all of those other processes are not initiated. Um, they're very useful for, for female athletes um, who need to not have heavy periods. They need to know when their periods are going to happen to um, prevent interfering with, with competitive um, activities. They really are a, a boon to women, ultimately. Some downsides for women who have um, uh, a genetic risk of um, developing blood clots. So... Um, that they have some kind of some abnormalities in their DNA that makes their blood clot more easily. Um, the most common being the factor factor five Leiden mutation. These women have an increased risk of of developing those clots both in their lungs, their their legs, um, their brain, or even their heart um, if they use combined oral contraceptives. And additionally, women who smoke over the age of thirty five have an increased risk of stroke. Women with migraines that have the aura or the kind of the pre Migraine warning signs have an increased risk of stroke, so we don't recommend those methods for for um, these women. Now, is there a, a risk for um, breast cancer later on? Wasn't that a concern? So that that concern goes back and forth. Okay. Um, most recently, we have found that women have a slightly increased risk of developing breast cancer, particularly with long-term use. Um, the risk decreases and goes back to normal um, after women stop using the um, estrogen-based me methods um, over time. But that risk, it seems like every few years it goes back and forth. Some years it says it's a little bit increased, other years it says it's a little, in, little bit decreased, some years it just, it's neutral. So it's, at this stage of the game, I have a difficult time recommending women not use estrogen-based methods when they're 20, 19, 15 mm -hmm. years old to prevent the possibility of having um, breast cancer in the future. There are so many other risk factors to breast cancer, and this is just one of them. Okay. But it's probably something to discuss with your doctor individually. Yes. So Yes, and most women don't use birth control pills for 20, 30 years, right. ultimately. They use them for, for even a few months when they're sexually active, and they go back and forth between them. So in addition to the pill, are there other hormonal methods? Yes, so about... Almost 20 years ago, we developed the patch and the ring, um, and they both also have combined hormones, both estrogen and progestin. The patch is effective for one week at a time, uh, so it gets changed out every week, um, and it is, it is a patch that goes on the arm or the hip or the um, Some other the discreet. Back. Yes. Okay. Um, unfortunately, it matches nobody's skin tone. Um, <laughs> And then there's the vaginal ring, which fits up inside the vagina. And it can be left in place for between three and four weeks. And it gets changed out every fourth week, um, replaced every fourth week. So they, again, they have the same, um, 
side effects, uh, contraindications as um, oral contraceptives. The advantage of these is they don't require, um, they can be useful for women who have erratic lifestyles. So when I was a resident and I was on call every third night, we frequently forgot our birth control pills for our call night and then got home at 5.30 the next day, fell asleep, and therefore went two nights without our birth control pill. Patch of the ring is great for women who have lifestyles like that. I had a patient who used to travel to Germany monthly for business. And she could never remember, she was having difficulty with the time, the time zone changes. Time zone, sure. Right. So with the patch, she didn't have to worry about, you know, take, uh, missing her dose by 6, 8, 12 hours. Now, you mentioned the ring, and it made me think of intrauterine. Are, are intrauterine devices still used or not? Yes, they've actually gained in popularity um, over the past 10 years. So um, about 10, let's see, in... 2007, um, about 1% of the female population was using intrauterine devices, and currently almost 14% of the population are using intrauterine devices. And they do require, the downside of those is they're very expensive, and they do require a healthcare provider to insert them up inside the uterus. The upside is that they're good between um, anywhere from 3 to 10 years, depending on which which type of intrauterine hmm. device a woman gets. And... Um, they don't require prescriptions. They don't requ- once they're placed. They don't require refills once they're inserted. Um, the great thing about them is they, if a woman is in an accident if, with her car and has a five hundred dollar deductible to pay for her car and therefore has no money to pay for anything else for the next three or four months, she still has her contraception. That's still covered. If okay. she loses her insurance, she still has her contraception. Her provider does not hunt her down and remove it if she loses her insurance. So she's going to be covered which is particularly useful seeing as how there's the impending collapse of the Affordable Care Act. Right. So women are going to have to start thinking harder again about their contraception and how they're going to afford it. Well, and one other um, uh, method would be barrier methods or condoms, right? Yes. That's one other. Um, Because I wanted to ask you, can you recommend one type of method over another for a woman, a young woman who wants to preserve childbearing? Is there a method that's better for that than another? Or do they all work sort of, you know, they someone who wants to put off having children but wants to have children later on? Yes. So if you're looking at a young woman who has no intention of getting pregnant for five, six years, um, then I would lean towards an intrauterine device um, or the, the um, subdermal contraceptive implant, which is a rod that fits um, inside the arm. It's a about the size of a matchstick. It also requires a provider to insert it. It is good for three years. Um, it does have progestin only. It does not have any estrogen, so it's useful for the women who um, can't use estrogens, women with plug clotting disorders, um, etc. Uh, so that will cover her for three years at that point. It does have the downside of possible bleeding irregularities as far as um, periods are concerned. So some women don't like the unpredictability of the bleeding potentially. But it is also another one of those, what we call no-brainer birth control, where it doesn't require you know, refills um, and you don't lose it if you lose your insurance. So for a woman who, who is, particularly if she's just starting out her life, has an entry-level job that doesn't have good insurance benefits, if she can get one of those, that will have her covered for several years. If this is a woman who's finishing up grad school, got married last year, and plans to start trying for pregnancy in six or eight months, I really wouldn't recommend any of those methods. I would lean more towards the um, combined hormonal methods like the pill, the patch, the ring, um, or if her partner is diligent, um, 
the two of them remembering barrier methods like condoms. Both male and female condoms are effective when used appropriately. Um, she could also potentially use the sponge um, or the cervical cap if she hasn't had children yet. Um, those can be acquired without, requi uh, without a prescription just from the drugstore. Um, then there's the diaphragm, which has become harder to find because it has fallen out of popularity because it is a bit cumbersome because it does have to be inserted prior to sex. Um, but that is also another option that they're all very effective if they're used every single time a woman has sex. Wow. Lots of options, it sounds like. Yes. So um, what about, we haven't talked about sexually transmitted diseases, but do any of these methods protect against sexually transmitted diseases? So the most effective way to prevent sexually transmitted diseases is using condoms. Um, both male and female condoms are very effective in preventing um, bacterial diseases like gonorrhea, chlamydia, um, viral diseases like HIV. Um, HPV and herpes are both skin-to-skin -skin contact diseases, and neither male or female condoms cover all genital skin that is in contact during um, sexual intercourse, but by decreasing the surface area, they will decrease the risk of transmission, but not completely. Hmm. Okay, good to know. And can a young woman, say under the age of 18, um, in New York State, are they able to get birth control without parental consent? Yes, they are. So just set up an appointment with any sort of doctor? Yes. Um, I don't know 100%, but I think there's also ways that it can even make it to the patient, the young woman's um, insurance if it goes to their parents without them knowing exactly what was done. Okay. But a lot of women just choose to use their own money. They'll often go to a, a local Planned Parenthood where they can get a sliding scale cost. Well, I was also going to ask about the cost of these. You mentioned like the IUD being expensive, but does insurance cover birth control for men and women or... So currently, with the Affordable Care Act, um, all methods of at least one type of one type of, of contraceptive from all the different methods have to be covered. So at least one brand of birth control pills, at least one type of the patch in the ring, which unfortunately is only one type at this point. Um, at least one intrauterine device has to be covered. At least one implant has to be covered, um, and without the copays. So. At this point in time, women who have any of the plans under the Affordable Care Act um, will can access these methods. But like the IUD and the uh, subdermal contraceptive implant, they're both they're looking at anywhere between five and hundred and a thousand dollars. So it's a high upfront cost, but that means no copays, nothing else for the next several years. So ultimately, they do um, save the patient money. Um, Colorado performed a study that found that for every dollar the state of Colorado, uh, actually was a, it was privately funded initially, but for every dollar that was spent on the IUDs and the implant, um, $6 was saved overall. Mm. So it makes fiscal sense to have these methods covered because you ultimately have uh, fewer unplanned pregnancies, um, you have fewer teen pregnancies. More importantly, Colorado actually decreased the teen pregnancy rate by twice that of the rest of the country by making these methods, the, the um, IUDs and implants, easily available. Well, there's lots to consider, and it's uh, good to know there's a lot of options for, for people. So I appreciate you being here. My guest has been Dr. Renee Mastad, an assistant professor and division chief of obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.